This episode is for informational purposes only and is not to be taken as legal or professional advice. Welcome to Healthcare Inspired, the podcast that bridges the gap between clinical expertise and business innovation, all with a single purpose, improving patient care. Get ready to be inspired as we bring you thought-provoking discussions, captivating stories, and groundbreaking insights from leading experts in healthcare. Join your host, Jennifer McNamara, on a journey of discovery as she connects the dots, revealing the synergy between clinical and business teams. Each episode, we'll delve into the latest healthcare trends, uncover innovative solutions, and share success stories that will motivate and ignite change. So get ready to embark on a path of inspiration, knowledge, and transformation. Here is your host, Jennifer McNamara. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Healthcare Inspired Podcast. I am Jennifer McNamara. I am your host. Today, we're diving deep. This is episode nine. We are so excited to bring on a special guest today to talk about technology in healthcare. It is preserving humanity in the world of healthcare AI. So we're very excited to bring on our special guest today. But what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about, of course, artificial intelligence and how it's being used in the healthcare industry. We are going to really look at our healthcare operations and see what we're up against when it comes to the employment of artificial intelligence in its many forms. Now, we want to talk about several things, such as how it can improve monsters like the prior authorization process. We want to talk about coding operations. We want to talk about how to optimize our current technology so that we're not duplicating tasks and we're not wasting time and using artificial intelligence in a way that can make us more efficient without removing that human element that needs to be there. So again, efficiency is the name of the game, and that's what AI is here to do, to help improve workflows within our healthcare facilities. And we're going to talk about some of the specific ways that it does that. And again, collaboration has been one of the things that we've seen on the horizon over the last few years. So many collaborations, so many mergers of healthcare entities to improve efficiency and, of course, reduce cost. And there's going to be challenges, right? They're inevitable. There are obstacles that we're going to face that we have faced in adopting this technology. And in light of recent advancements, recent, of course, uh, announcements, right, by the government on how AI will be used in the healthcare space, it's important to really understand the technology and what it does. And of course, what the future trends might be on the horizon. And we do also, of course, realize that within this human element of making AI work are still using humans to do so, there's always an ethical consideration, making sure that what we're doing with any technology is beneficial to the patient, it's beneficial to the organization, and it's going to improve the overall experience uh, in healthcare. So I want you to stay tuned. I'm going to have an amazing conversation with our special guest today, Cameron Llewellyn. I'm so excited to introduce you to him. He's a great tech expert. And if you really want to get down and learn about behind the scenes, what technology in healthcare really does, not just what you hear in the media, but really get down and hear from a true expert 
behind the scenes and what this technology is designed to do and how it can improve healthcare. You're going to hear right from the horse's mouth, guys, what it is for, what it's going to do for us. So stay tuned after the break for my conversation with Cameron Llewellyn. Well, guess what, guys? It is once again time for the annual Business of Healthcare Colloquium. It's virtual. It's presented by the Jolivet Medicoding Institute. I want to give a huge shout out to Kimberly Jolivet Williams for always putting on a great event. I will be starting out the show on November 11th, Saturday, November 11th, on enhancing clinical documentation for chronic conditions, the impact on coding and reimbursement. We're going to have topics on EMR optimization, really engaging your team. We're going to talk about conditions such as diabetes. We're going to look at telehealth. Um, There's going to be so much information, so many speakers on various topics, understanding screening colonoscopies, modifier 25, and so much more. So please stay tuned for, on November 11th and 12th, the Business of Healthcare Colloquium presented by the Jolivet Medicoding Institute. And of course, the details will be in our show notes. We encourage you to attend. We will see you at the event. Well, as mentioned, I have a very special guest on the show today. I have Cameron Llewellyn. Welcome to the show, Cameron. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, we have a unique experience how we met, and I'm just going to share it with the audience. You know, back in April, (laughs) I had made the decision to advance my career and really get more into the technology space because I love technology. I love helping it grow. And I was given the opportunity to attend the HIMSS conference in Chicago, and I love Chicago. So I was like, yes. And of course, during the process, I realized my favorite comedian, uh, Nate Margazzi, was going to be the entertainment. Right. So it was kind uh, of like a yeah. Yeah, selling point for me, right? I don't know. if you Did you get a chance to go to that? that, that I event? did not. No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh my goodness. I just, I did it and I, I had a great time. And and then of course, on, on the bus, on the way back, from the conference to our hotel, it was it was nice to get to chat with you and learn more about what what you're doing for the industry. So it was a nice little chat. We had a conversation. So Cameron, tell our audience what you do in in the tech space and how that helps the healthcare space. What you're passionate about these days? Thanks, Jennifer. So uh, one, it was great to meet you after I had already paid a ridiculous amount for Ubers to go from the conference back to the hotel only to find out that that free ride was available. We met and it was like, okay, this was way better, right? Like we had a meaningful conversation. So Cameron Llewellyn, and I'm really passionate about healthcare transformation because uh, the delta in between where healthcare organizations are now, where most are really operating on a single digit margin, don't necessarily have all of the latest and greatest sort of Uh, technologist in terms of a a team of data scientists, I'm really passionate about helping them to adopt new solutions that really aren't even necessarily new in in the way of being sort of cutting edge, but they do at least sort of level the baseline for what we're able to do from an operation standpoint, and ultimately for the clinicians and the patients too. So when we were on the bus, we talked actually about, you know, some things that I was working on, and I'm glad that we stayed in touch and happy to be now on your podcast. Thank you so much. And it's it's a breath of fresh air to, to talk to someone who really understands technology and how it impacts healthcare in a positive way. And I've been in healthcare for over 20 years. And over that time, we've seen 
certain technologies kind of lead the way in innovation in healthcare on the clinical side and also the business side. I work mostly on the business side and I've seen insurance companies and those that pay healthcare uh, claims provide reimbursement to facilities. They already have these, these algorithms in place that kind of learn uh, what, what they need to do to pay a claim on our side of things on the business side. There's algorithms in place for other areas as well. But in your opinion and your your experience with AI playing a role in healthcare and improving efficiency and automation specifically, how do you think that it has already changed the landscape even in the last two, three years? You know, I think it's important to make sure that people understand that machine learning is an aspect of artificial intelligence. So while AI may have gotten a huge pop by the way of ChatGPT, machine learning has been everything that people have been doing with spreadsheets for the last like, you know, 50, 60 years. And in terms of what it's done, where you find organizations that have been historically uh, more uh, proficient and or better perform it outside of healthcare, uh, the data has been everything, right? The data for a financial organization that performs well, and that's why your 401k is there, right? Uh, a, a, a racing group that is doing, you know, cars, and as a result of the fact that they are tracking things that others aren't, they think about efficiency in a different way, whether or not it's the optimization against the conditions on the field, or if we're just talking about anything else that, again, you would have to be an expert to know, but have the data uh, to make actionable. And so specifically within, uh, you know, AI and ML, right, it is it has improved a whole bunch of other industries by illuminating factors, things that, that sometimes we were looking for, which we consider unsupervised learning, but then also where we sort of let the system go play by itself in, in unsupervised learning. And as a result of those things, right, some of those unsupervised, you really started to get incredible innovations, right, including drug discovery and when you think about other aspects about um, the patient experience and then also patient engagement and then also even how you manage your internal staff, there have been some amazing things that artificial intelligence slash machine learning has, has shown us in terms of ways that we can improve healthcare. Some of the things you mentioned, um, thinking about the patient engagement, um, automation specifically too, that has, has helped really improve healthcare is great. And you are correct. I think it's important that our, our audience understand you know, machine learning is a element, right, of AI technology, artificial intelligence, and artificial intelligence does so many other things. But in the world we live in, in healthcare, it is, of course, changing the way we do things. It has been changing it for several years. And there are a lot of tools out there that have a lot of benefits. And so in your idea of what you've seen and your experience, have you seen success stories and specific examples that you've seen improved efficiency on the business side of healthcare? Yeah, so on the business side, um, there's a bunch of efficiencies to be found, and it's it's because healthcare is one of those spaces where a lot of what's actually happening for the business to occur is between people. Uh, people in themselves are so varied that now what we think of as, as the value of care uh, comes into conflict essentially with the, the historic nature of healthcare, which has been a fee-based service. And so I'll give you a couple of examples of where automation has really improved healthcare in meaningful ways. Uh, you know, one, let's start kind of outside of healthcare where uh, we have a, an organization that we've worked with and, and basically an API integration where uh, they work with trains. And so one of the crazy things is that if you are going to sign up to be, you know, a train operator, they're going to train you on what happens if you have a wreck. However, when the wreck happens, uh, you being a whole human don't necessarily react in the way that you were trained. 
And so one of the things that we've been able to do is to work on an API integration and automation that if a, a train wreck were to occur, it minimizes the number of things that you would have to do in order to achieve a much more optimal outcome. And that same thing could be applied and is being, being applied right now within healthcare organizations as it pertains to patient falls, as it pertains to um, actually clinician safety. We saw a dramatic spike, right, post the pandemic, really, of incidences and of violence against uh, caretakers. And as a result of that, what we've tried to do is try to look at that and to automate those things in a way where, you know, the violence of the situation or the stress does not give way to worse outcomes. We minimize that in the particular case of the train and for uh, a patient or a patient fall by giving a one word cue that triggers an application that through API protocols uses automation to trigger a bunch of other events. In the case of a train derailment or a wreck, right? It is calling the, appro uh, the appropriate authorities. It, it is alerting the central intelligence of your, your uh, organization. It is also trying to issue out any sort of electronic messages to passengers. Again, assuming that the, the system is still working, it's doing all of those things after you've said one word, right? Same thing could be applied into healthcare and is being applied but it still has a long adoption rate because unfortunately uh, healthcare is a laggard in terms of adoption of technology. You know, I am just enthralled with what you have just ex expressed and there are very real areas of healthcare that technology, um, AI technology specifically can help with. And we know that the industry is moving towards making this more of a reality, but for instance, I'm going to talk about some of the, the big issues that we see on the business side. Prior authorizations is probably one of the biggest, biggest challenges uh, that it doesn't seem to be going away when it comes to how it affects the patient, but also how technology can help. Now, when I think about the process of prior authorizations, a lot of companies are out there trying to make this process smoother and more efficient, but there are challenges. Have you seen, you know, any, any, strong movements in that direction with technology and, and what needs to happen to make this better? What do you, what do you think? There are a number of things that we should be considering in terms of um, this subject. And one of them really for me is fraud, right? Like if we don't have a database that is making sure that we can reduce fraud, waste and abuse, uh, we're not being kind to the system. And ultimately that large S is just flatly unacceptable. Um, that fraud detection does actually connect back in with other aspects of sort of natural considerations for AI for things like predictive analysis. So if we can use a combination of natural language processing where now your, your patients can talk to your system, right? Not necessarily um, having to, to just input data using either a, a keyboard or somebody on the other line. Uh, believe it or not, our natural language processing can start to find errors in different ways that we, you know, we currently can't do that. And so if you were using natural language processing, it, some believe that it's going to actually be a lot harder to commit fraud because your system could be listening for lies, right? Your system can pick up mm -hmm. on things that, that a, a, a person who is, has currently been successful won't know are the same techniques, say, as the FBI uses if for some reason um, you're caught in a, in a crime, right? Uh, again, there's a, a great book that's out there uh, about lying, right, by Pamela Meyer, Dr. Pamela, mm -hmm. Pamela Meyer, how the FBI asks you questions out of order. The point is that fraud would be one place that we would consider uh, reducing things. But the other things that are, they're also sort of, you know, low-hanging fruit, decision support, mm -hmm. um, automated uh, administrative tasks, 
Um, if you have any additional data analytics past what you're currently doing, uh, and then patient education, right? Really medical adherence comes down to uh, getting an adherent patient. And the more that you can treat them like a whole human, you're more likely to have better, better outcomes. I promise shorter answers, but I wanted to get into that kind of a little deeply because I do think it's really meaningful use for AI. I really do too as well. Um, I think it's important to think about that. When we look at data too, and we like dissect it, there's a lot of data pieces with prior authorizations we look at and not it's not one size fits all as we know, but the more we learn about certain specialties, about certain types of procedures that are performed and what is clinically medically necessary, we can use that data to inform, make better informed decisions. Even as an insurance company, you can make better informed decisions when you truly understand where the data is coming from, what it's telling you and how it impacts a real patient. So I, I think that there's a lot of work to be done for sure, but it's 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 good progress that we're seeing in the industry. And then of course, coding operations, there's been a lot of talk about using AI in coding. There's several companies already on the market trying to improve and make coding a reality in an AI environment. So where an actual um, system can perform coding functions that a human was doing. Now, while I am a little bit leery in some ways of this in some code sets, some environments, I think there's a lot of ways AI can assist in coding operations. Do you have any examples of where you think it could be helpful and speed up the process right now? And where do you think we're going to be in five, 10 years from now? One of the things that we really want to consider with coding operations is that the reality, right, is that in terms of hacking, uh, a lot of it is human error that allows for that. And I, I learned that fa that fact a while back, and then it was it was actually re um, emphasized by Larry Ellison, right, at the Oracle Health Conference. And when you start to think about what the future of coding looks like, we really do want a more zero trust environment to keep all of our information safe because healthcare is really one of the number one targets for ransomware. Uh, so in terms of just speeding up operations for coding, I do think that the fundamental uh, place that we want to start is just based around making it more secure. Your information should be your information. So it's a buy one, get one free in this case, because I do believe that the coding will make the environment more secure. But then in making the environment more secure, I actually think it's going to enable additional interoperability so that you, Jennifer, are not going to have to worry if you're switching in between, you know, Epic and Cerner or uh, going vac vacation to South America, something happens and getting your me medical records is not hard. In terms of automation, right, impacting sort of the accuracy and the speed medical coding. Um, I, I mentioned that, you know, in terms of, of, of safety, but then also just think about how much error reduction we can, we can have if we aren't trying things out only to have them fail, right? We have to go through that QA process. And, and if we could just reduce that by 10%, right, that's a meaningful amount of time for your employees to be working on other things. And so as a baseline, what I love is also this idea that we're just going to become way more productive versions of ourselves, uh, turning, you know, super coders into you know, the Avengers. First, right, I have to have a sort yeah. of zero trust environment to make sure the information that you're receiving is true. And then after that, you can build on it. And I think that the overall sort of reduction of both the combination, right, will result in coding that is uh, more accurate and mm -hmm. has less sort of rejections. I love it. I love it. When we think about just the process of coding, how long it takes maybe a, a given coder to code a procedure with with the procedure part, the diagnosis part, and then of course the time it takes a physician to do that. What are your thoughts on, you know, make still making it accurate, but also more efficient? What can AI learn to do that can mimic maybe what a, a physical 
in-person coder or physician can do? Well, one of them conceptually is, is really different, which is that the medical coding right now is the process in, in which you're basically putting that information, uh, the, whether it's a procedure, a diagnosis, the equipment, the services, uh, from a, a physician's note and record it into, you know, coding, right? Whether or not that, that is alphanumeric or whatever else. So right now, right, they're in a form that has been standardized and universally accepted. But moving forward, what I think you're going to see is a change in the way that the code is generated, meaning that um, a patient is going to present with a certain number of symptoms. We're going to have to make a diagnosis. We're going to have to, to treat them um, based on... Uh, you know, sort of what the situation is, but we are going to see an acceleration, right, to the abstraction of whatever documents being submitted. We're going to see an acceleration in the amount of queries that we can make, right, for clarification and doing that against historical records using interoperability in a meaningful way. We're going to be able to, to code the diagnosis, obviously, the same way, code the procedures the same way, but then past that, when we're trying to confirm the medical necessity, I think what you're going to see is that you will have additional data, again, from API calls and other things that help to qualify um, to kind of reduce, right, the need necessarily to, to do that confirmation in, in a longer way. I think, hopefully, my hope is just a reduction in time at, at a bare minimum. Um, and then, you know, you always have to double check your codes, right? Uh, and, and one of the things that I think that AI is going to do, I, I joke all the time, is having AI talk to AI, right? Just for the double checking, right? But there's yes. going to be a lot better, better than that. And it's going to be a shorter conversation um, because at, at a certain point, right, the record, the longitudinal record will be sort of certified. It will be um, hardened, right, as, as it gets closer and closer to the execution of, of say, a procedure. I think what you said is just right in the money. It's what we're all wanting to attain. And I do think it's doable when we start thinking about um, the, the true technology behind it, what we're trying to accomplish. We have to have humans making this work either way. So there's going to be that human element, but increasing efficiency, uh, decreasing cost is really the goal. And with that, we know that we have our electronic medical records, our systems that we need integrations with. And we talk about collaboration with, with technology. And there are some ways where you can actually integrate one system with another to make it more efficient. And there are some systems out there. I'm going to tell you and all of you listening out there, I have used almost every single EMR system that you can think of that's out there, the, the major players. And I've seen how they work. I've seen the what I need it to do that it's not doing for me. And I, I've seen on physician side what their complaints are, that they tell me all the time what their complaints are. And so then I'm thinking, okay, how can we improve this? And so I really want to help technology be better and more optimized. I also like to help practices optimize their own technology. So Cameron, in your estimation, what you've seen in the technology side, what are some ways that we can improve current systems now to be more efficient? And then do you think optimization is where we need to be headed? I think optimization is definitely the place for, for us to start, um, simply because I think more speculative uh, introductions of LOMs could have, you know, deteriorous factors that, that we aren't even considering currently, right? Like I could just imagine... Um, that deteriorating into a state where people have even less trust. So optimization is a great place because it starts with the things that we trust. Uh, if we think about electronic medical records, uh, we see the integration of these LOMs to allow the doctor to just have a more face-to-face uh, -face interaction instead of looking at a screen and clicking buttons. The doctor can just be focused on you and we can have that record 
automatically sort of in, input into the longitudinal record, uh, and sorry, the recording input into the longitudinal record that makes it a lot easier for the doctor to, to just do that basic um, interaction. Past that, right, when we think about, you know, whether or not the the patient actually follows, you know, whatever the recommendation is or understands the diagnosis, there are a bunch of other things that we can do. Uh, AI can can be, you know, listening to that conversation from the doctor, recording it and translating it in, into a different language for someone else in the same room. And so now we're facilitating a conversation that would have been harder, right? Um, we could also uh, simply have that longitudinal record taken, and then it's going to get translated through uh, an application to help the patient to follow those um, the, the diagnosis or, or whatever the doctor said. So think about uh, daily activities, right? When we want to start looking at healthcare more as a journey so that your interaction with it is closer to TikTok and less like it is going to the dentist, right? And so, right. you know, what we want is for you to want to care about yourself in a way that's fun and it's easy to click a like, and we want you to click like on your, your health. Well, AI can also help that by translating essentially what the doctor has asked you to do and looking at what your actual pattern of behavior is and then giving you small updates that, that again, small things that right now might be not the Diet Coke, but a water this time, right? But then in the aggregate are absolutely mm -hmm. transformational. Um, and then the last thing too is because as the EMR sort of expands beyond uh, some of the traditional uh, places where it's resided, you will see additional endpoints like Walmart, CVS, Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, where you will have uh, interactions with that EMR. And that'll be a place for uh, data collection where, again, if you haven't downloaded, you know, how many steps you've taken via your Apple Watch or um, if you are tracking your calories, you know, there will be other places of consolidation that mm -hmm. can help uh, with some of your buying experiences. And the way that those buying experiences go into the EMR, it would be meaningful for the clinician that's working with you to know some of the things mm -hmm. that you've done or made changes in order to actually try to uh, deal with whatever reason uh, first brought you into the healthcare center. I love it. I love it. This is great stuff. It's all stuff that we need to think about, um, that it's, it's all, it's not just, you know, mm -hmm. some people that listen to this podcast, they, they think only business and, and I'm really wanting to change that mindset because I want everyone in healthcare to understand whether you work in the business side or the clinical side, it all intersects and it's all for the the ultimate goal of the patient well-being. everything we do every data point that we touch is about helping the patient be successful in their healthcare journey. And then we think about one of the things, of course, when I go into practice, I, I work on operational workflows with, with practices and help them from the very moment the patient comes in and talks to that first person to the time they check out after they see every single clinician in, the, in that process, or even in the hospital from the time they are discharged, what is the workflow like? Where is their breakdowns in that? And so I see a lot of potential with technology to help improve workflows that people are just not thinking of or are too scared to employ. So what are your thoughts as to what we can do now and what we see the future on this? Well, hold on, hold on. You can't just say that you've got some ideas and not give me at least one. <laughs> that's, not, that's not fair at all. What kind of, what, come on now, give me, give me something here. Well, right. you know, I have a lot of ideas and a lot of it has to do with optimizing your current staff. And it's funny, it sounds like such a simple idea, but I'm telling you with all of the experience I have, the facilities I've worked with, they're not doing it. They're not optimizing their current staff. They are making it harder for their staff to be successful. And they have 
maybe 10, 15 people doing a task that maybe one or two people can do. Mm-hmm. And then you can use technology for other things. So I'm, we're already seeing optimization and benefit verification. Um, we're seeing optimization in just the way patients are using their portals more efficiently. And I feel like there's even ways that we can employ even video technology where you're having videos created that are really helping patients understand certain aspects of their health care journey that it takes a lot of time to explain in just an average conversation. But if you have pre-made videos uh, for patients to understand how on the business side things work, what's the process in your, what's your policy in this, in this office for, for this, this, and this, because I think patients, they don't want to read everything. You know, you, you get to the office and they hand you all these pieces of paper and they don't want to read all that. But if you communicate to them in a, in a video format or a way that's easy to understand, they're like, oh, I get it. I get why this is important. And I understand your policy on prescriptions. You're going to get back to me in so many hours on my prescription. Different things like that, that in a video format, or if they have these these things sent to them in a gradual way, they understand the process. They're not confused. They come back to the office feeling confident in that staff. And there are the elderly communities, right, that they don't feel you know, connected because they don't understand technology. But the more we do to make it easy for them, make it user-friendly, it's going to be easier to adopt as we go forward with more of it. So, I mean, what do you think? Uh, I think that you are really smart and that's why you've got a podcast. So <laughs> let me give you a couple of examples where a large language model eventually could do some of the things that you're talking about. Uh, we we see a variance in between the way that people speak, obviously, there are different accents. Um, you know, there's also a different thing in terms of the cadence, uh, the word order, uh, the way that we express ourselves very much is a sign of our culture and a sign of our upbringing and a sign of our education. And to your point, one of the things that you know, we don't want to impact healthcare is the literacy of the patient, right? It, we Just because you Uh, don't necessarily read on a college level, that doesn't mean we want you to die of a heart attack, right? Like we want to be able to communicate with you in a way that you can um, really absorb and adopt whatever our prognosis is and whatever that outcome that we're shooting for is. Um, And so imagine that someone who goes into a doctor's office has uh, a, a large language model that can speak to them in a cadence using words that maybe reflect their age or reflect their education. Uh, Simplify the information as needed or go as deep as you'd like. That is a wonderful sort of thought about where precision medicine can really go just with large language models and AI. Um, That's just kind of one example. Uh, Next thing, let's think about your, your staff. So I posted this week on LinkedIn about Thymia. So as an API integration, right, the ability to really kind of understand what's happening with someone based on the dynamics of their face uh, mm-hmm. means that at the end of my shift, I could have a 10 second thing with my employee, uh, were they in the car, submit some sort of thing or or in a, a private space, just of how their shift went, right? And we're not asking them necessarily for anything meaningful, but maybe we do get something in terms of what we could do to improve a process where 15 people are doing it and only two actually need to, right? But the other thing is that we can collect the data, the micro expressions on the face, uh, the stress from a mom that's got, you know, a single mom that's got two kids at home. And though uh, we are seeing the end of a shift, we're seeing the beginning of another. And the AI can figure out based on forecasting and understanding historically, you know, how coverage has been to recommend a day off, maybe even a paid day off, right, Uh, for that person who's not going to see it coming. 
and, and that in terms of, of treating them again as a sort of whole human, understanding, measuring the stress that's happening, that is meaningful change. Oh, I love it. It's fascinating. I think it's it's a beautiful concept. Um, you know, in light of in general, even just the workforce and healthcare, I was thinking about the recent, you know, um thing that happened with Kaiser and the employees going on strike and they're overworked, they're they feel unappreciated. And even just using AI in improving the the lives of your staff, you know, understanding what they're going through and using AI for that is it's going to help the whole healthcare industry because it's going to help the patient not have an overworked employee helping them. And they're going to feel like they're getting really taken care of. It trickles down to everything. So I think it's fascinating. And then we think about just the future trends and considerations. Some, some thoughts I have when we talked about this previously is collaboration. I think there's a lot of tech companies out there, a lot of people like you and I that are trying to make improvements where we can, but collaboration is key. So can we talk for a few minutes about collaboration and how, you know, technology can be used, but we need to think about how we collaborate with others. So instead of hiring a person to work on your tech within your organization, can you collaborate with existing companies ultimately for the betterment of, of the healthcare community? Yeah. I mean, one of the most beautiful things I think I ever, I've ever seen uh, in technology was absolutely cryptocurrency, right? It was beautiful because it was such a dumpster fire, but it was also beautiful <laughs> because it showed that people thought that decentralized financing, decentralized knowledge, decentralized um, opportunity, if you will, was better for all. And what I love again here about the idea of collaboration is that you don't have to develop it all on your own. Uh, you know, to be honest, some of the systems that are in place today are so complex that unless you collaborate with others, you're never going to be able uh, to approach solutions that take on some of the ones that that ultimately make the most money, right? Um, mm -hmm. and, and I don't want to connect it back to money, but but it's very important to understand that it does cost money to treat people. Oh, it does. So, yes. so we want to try to figure out how to optimize that care, not only for how much it costs, but really for the value to the patient. And I think that collaboration is really sort of key to that notion. I really, I really, really think that's a beautiful thought. We we think about how it's it's not going to change. It's not going to get any easier. Healthcare is changing in a way that's it's it's actually hurting a lot of the clinicians. It's hurting those in in the field because they feel overworked, they feel unappreciated, and the reimbursement is a real real challenge for physicians. It's affecting the way they deliver care because they're it's all they can think about sometimes. Um, and so then finally, I wanted to talk about, you know, something that I, I'm big in compliance. I, I do compliance assessments, um, especially for fraud, waste and abuse cases. I get in there and I'm that person that goes through your compliance program to make sure that it's up to speed. So you, you can make sure you're not violating anything. And then I think about ethics. Sometimes I think about ethics and compliance and a similar thought, but last night I actually did a presentation on the difference between ethics and compliance and ethical people are going to do the right thing because it's the right thing and they understand that. And then because of that, they're going to follow compliance standards, laws and principles that exist out there for the betterment of society and of course the healthcare community. So when it comes to ethical considerations with AI, what are some of the things we need to think about, but also not be afraid of? I think I saw today that uh, some some of the states have, have brought a suit against Meta and Facebook specifically around the idea that somehow it's damaging to children, 
right? And so mm -hmm. I, I don't think that in any meaningful way, Facebook or let alone Instagram set out through its its mm -hmm. uh, process to hurt children. I don't I don't think that's true. Absolutely not. Um, yeah. But but when we set out to do things in terms of AI, we don't want uh, for say the the purpose of uh, efficiency to start then denying humanity. I think that happens mm -hmm. at a level that already is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. um, so considerations, you know, are revolve around trying to keep the value of a human. Uh, at the level that it is, but actually in trying to raise it, right? As we go from fee-based to value-based care, the idea is to raise what it means to care. Mm -hmm. uh, and so any algorithms that we are writing, we want to be writing them with an idea toward optimizing that. Uh, the next thing is is that, again, I talked about the centralization essentially of, of power and control. And while we want central control within the organization to be able to perform administrative tasks, if you will, we want the decentralization of healthcare in order to affect all the outcomes, right? A rising tide lifts all, all boats. So if everyone starts to have a better uh, diet, if people know, uh, you know, how to exercise, if they start to be able to diagnose, you know, mental uh, maladies as easily as a, as a broken arm, then I think all of society benefits in that way. And so ethical considerations around AI and the application then extend toward how we um, look at people and how we divide up the aspects in which we want to apply this technology to helping them. Uh, and so it's a combination of the metrics, right, that we use, the the process that it's, it's um, it, it, I will say introduced into healthcare, but again, in, in some cases, what we're doing is just optimizing or, or altering an, an existing process. And then by judging the outcome and, and making sure that, that in the healthcare process, people continue to see a rise in the way that they feel about interacting. And you'll be able to judge that easily through the data with the number of people that opt into care, um, the availability for higher levels of care for people that are of lower economic status, and then ultimately the outcomes and, and how we prevent, you know, and uh, readmissions, right? And, and because we can certainly understand what that impact is to the, the system itself. Excellent. Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're right in the money there too. It, there's, there's a lot to consider and we've covered a lot of ground today. We've talked a lot about the challenges, um, the, the impact of AI and other technologies that are, they're out there for the clinical side, the benefits there, and also the business side. But I don't think our conversation's done, Cameron. I think we have more to mm -hmm. talk about. So we'll definitely revisit some more conversations in the future, but I thank you for coming on the show today. Is there anything you, last words of wisdom you want to leave our audience? And then also, where can we find you? Sure. Yeah. So uh, currently uh, on LinkedIn, under my name, Cameron Llewellyn, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, last name Llewellyn, L-E-W-E-L-L-E-N. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm exploring new opportunities, I guess you could say, right? Because I'm always interested in, in making new partnerships and collaborations like these. And then sort of the final thought that I think I'll leave you with is, is this one. Uh, the impact that we are seeing that machine learning and, and AI make on people is, you know, I would say somewhere around 75 to 85% of the hype cycle. We've been through hype cycles before in terms of technology, whether it's cloud, right? Um, uh, whether it's uh, app applications uh, themselves, but this hype cycle is different. This hype cycle does represent something that is going to literally transform the world. And so how we adopt this, um, how we integrate it within the healthcare system and really outside of healthcare at large is going to be one of the things that you know kids look back at and will be amazed. Oh, wait, you had to get up, right? To go pick the phone up? Like you, you had to go to the wall? 
what, what do you mean? There was there right, not- exactly. Uh, so in the future, not being able to talk to an app, not being able to talk to your doctor, not having 24 hour access, not having multiple algorithm scans on on uh, any medical image that's taken. Those things are going to be, a, a, you know, a, a, a base level, right? Just table stakes. The future, though, is even crazier. And we'll we'll say that for our next podcast. But quantum is coming. Right. Quantum mm-hmm. is coming. And, uh, you know, I was trying to explain it to my mom the other day. And I I basically said, look, you know, when you go over to the light switch, you flip it on and you flip it off. Right. But if you go to your stereo, you have a volume control. And so the additional variables, the different additional sort of tweaks in the frequency between uh, what you have uh, on and off for binary code and quantum, which now uh, would, would expand and need algorithms that we can't necessarily imagine. That is going to be an acceleration, Jennifer, that literally turns us into the Jetsons mm. or the Incredibles. And I am so here. I love it. it. Oh, my! I'm so excited. I just love it. You know, I just watched the Incredibles the other day. And my husband has one of our favorite movies of all time. We just love it. And so it's funny you said that because that's that's exciting. And I, you know, I think of like Ant-Man, that kind of stuff. It's just kind of, <laughs> you know, some of these things that yeah. we just like, oh, that's just a movie, right? But it's exciting to think about. So thank you for sharing your insights today. And yes, our conversation is not over. We have more to talk about. We'll save it for our next conversation. Until next time. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Healthcare Inspired. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you thought of the show. To learn more about Jennifer McNamara and her team at Healthcare Inspired, including how to hire their exceptional data team, visit www.healthcareinspiredllc.com. Thank you once again for joining us on this journey of inspiration and transformation. Together, let's shape the future of patient care. Healthcare Inspired is brought to you by Healthcare Inspired LLC. The show is produced by Highland Productions. Our executive producer is Jennifer McNamara. All music is composed by Gabriel Fast.